Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Pencil Problems. This is a Q&A episode where Nick and Ken talk about productivity. We find out the truth behind how many domain domain names Kent actually owns. I'm somehow talking in the third person, which is interesting. And uh, yeah, it's, it's a good episode. We, we dig into some cool topics. So remember that you can uh, ask us questions by emailing hello at pencilproblems.com. You can hit us up on Twitter at pencilpod. There's even a way to send questions through the pencilproblems.com website if you stream it from there. And uh, yeah, remember to just leave us a review and share this podcast with your friends and keep the questions coming. So here we go with uh, another episode of Pencil Problems. Well, okay, I, I think I, I think this is it right here. So why don't we why don't we start with a uh, why, why don't we do a quick quick project update and then we'll jump into these uh, these Q and A. So, okay, Nick, what's uh, what's going on in in book writing world? Um, so I just finished month eleven. It wow. is it's month it's crazy because I'm I'm actually pretty close, man. It's yeah. like I'm almost at the year mark. The pencil problems are gonna start coming out of out of, out of everywhere now. God, it's funny because my uh, my my coworker he's trying to get me on uh, this thing called a pocket operator. It's from this um, Swedish company called Teenage Engineering, and pocket it's, operator. What's that? Yeah, yeah. So it's really cool. It's like um, kind of like a sequencer synthesizer, and you can just make just for making music. No um, way. That's cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Teenage Teenage Engineering, they're like this uh, big company. They um, focus on kind of like audio creation tools they're actually going to partner with ikea soon so you're going to see a lot more kind of mainstream kind of products from them um sidebar what's actually kind of cool is like they their office is like in a parking garage and they just have like lamborghinis and ferraris just surrounding (laughs) them that's and that's their office and their their philosophy is really like they want to make beautiful things and they want to be inspired by beautiful things um so they just have like crazy just like fancy cars around them and what's that's it kind of their what's office. the app called again oh it's not an app it's a it's like a physical um like synthesizer it's called teenage engineering is a company and oh uh, it's it's the, like a it's like a beat bo- like a beat board yeah 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 okay um, but it's but you it's physical you actually touch it it's not an app yeah 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 so it's okay. called like the pocket operator and uh there's a whole series of them but anyways um my coworker wants me. He was. He has one. He's. It's fun to play with. And I'm like, yeah, I'm gonna get one. I'm gonna get one. And I've been honestly putting this off for like two weeks. And uh, because I've just been full on like writing mode. Um, but it, it's cool. It's cool, man. I feel really good about month eleven. I think it's my best month yet. Um, I'm not even worrying about sharing it or anything. I just am focused on writing right now. So it's fun. I'm gonna get to twelve months. Um. And then my next thing now is I'm starting to line up um, meetings with different writers. So mm. I want to just kind of build this knowledge base of what it takes to kind of make a book or people who have done it or um, and just see what kind of tips they have. I found out recently that there's actually um, like the government has like a lot of writing grants that they give out. Really? Yeah. So I was like, oh, that's kind of cool. Like my coworker, she put out like this poetry book. Um, she got a she got a grant that funded most of the project, um, and she, yeah. So, anyways, and she she's published. And I'm just, I'm just curious, like how that 
works like how do you find a person to publish a book do you have mm-hmm. what's this editor thing like do you have to find an editor um i don't know so anyways i'm trying to line a whole bunch of uh people up to chat with and just get some general feedback and um yeah yeah so it's it's going man how about, how about you um oh yeah. Well, yeah i'll give you my quick update but the, the, there's an interesting um of course i have to mention joe rogan at least once so he had an author on, I want to say last week, and he wrote a book called Sex at Dawn. Mm. Uh, Chris something, I, I have to look it up. But he had this interesting, like you might be able to YouTube it and see if there's a clip where he kind of talks about the economics of writing a book for uh, like a good like seven to ten minutes. And, and he's pretty, he sold 400,000 copies in the U.S., over the oh. past five years. So like he's pretty, he's up there. Like it's a pretty, that's, that's good. Mm-hmm. But it's, it's interesting. Like he really just talks about how, and, and um, you know all this stuff, but it, like you don't write a book to get rich. You, mm-hmm. you write a book to, you know, kind of build a platform. And then mm-hmm. it's really your second book where you can start to make, make the money. So mm-hmm. If you if you have a good book and I can't remember the numbers he gives in the U.S. for like what a decent kind of showing is, that gives you the negotiating power to negotiate a better a better deal for your second book, which normally right. includes like a I can't remember what they call it, an advance, mm-hmm. you know, where they they're basically paying you to write it. And it was just fascinating, where even for a guy who's selling four hundred thousand copies, he uses it to get onto Joe Rogan, which then gets him onto, you know, um, speaking tours and things like that. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. Um, anyway, it was, and, and he definitely talks about how there's still something about writing a book. Like it's, it puts you in a different class of whether it's deserved or not, like mm-hmm. this idea of being an, a published author, it makes people pay attention to you. Mm-hmm. And if he had have done it through a blog, like everybody was telling him to, he doesn't think that it would have been, you know, he thinks he might have even had more readers, but it it didn't, it wouldn't have given him the same clout, yeah, you know? For sure. so, and, and it's different being published, I think, than just self-publishing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he talks a lot about that too, where he mm-hmm. was kind of saying a lot of people make this mistake of self-publishing because they mm-hmm. see the rates that publishers take. So mm-hmm. I think the the nuts and bolts are he he basically gets eight percent which is crazy when you think of how little work the publisher is doing for every new copy wow. that gets sold yeah um but no, sorry and that was his first deal that was like his like his second one he didn't talk about because it it's better but yeah. um but so a lot of authors see that and then they're like well fuck that that's a bad deal why would I you know why would I put all this work in to get eight percent and yeah. his thing was like no no that's the initiation fee like unless you have a platform like joe he was saying like okay joe mm-hmm. you could self-publish because you're joe rogan you just say hey everybody i wrote a book cost 10 bucks yeah, yeah, and it's yeah. on my website yeah. and you'll sell a million dollars worth in a week yeah. um but if you don't have that kind of platform you're better off biting the bullet getting yourself out there and then you know like like you said it's a long game it's like a five-year game it's not a you know Anyway, mm-hmm. it, it, I, I think it'll I think it'll be motivating because even though, you know, it's 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 everything you kind of have been talking about. You know that it's not just going to happen overnight. It's mm-hmm. it's interesting hearing it from this guy's perspective. Anyway, oh, that's another, cool. Christopher uh, Christopher Ryan, right? That's it, Chris Ryan. Yeah. Okay. 
Okay, and so. um, it's actually a super fascinating episode. So he's a he writes about this thing called polyamorism, mm-hmm. which is basically like open relationships. Mm. And there's a lot of like scientific basis around we are not meant to be monogamous. And um, anyway, it's, it's it was like someone who's been married since he was 24. It was a it's it's a it's interesting like listening to his viewpoint on all this and like because yeah. i i like at least for me i'm like ah, i've never really felt like that like that's not it's not describing my my yeah. feelings but i can imagine yeah. where anyway it, it's it's a it's a fascinating uh fascinating listen oh that's good um, man I, I i'm also i guess thinking about uh just uh doing a survey of some sort which so i started asking random people not random people but asking different people like hey you read the blog um if I made this into a book, would you buy it? And if I, you wouldn't buy it, like what other content would you want in here? Um, because a part of me feels like just the day-to-day stuff is not enough and I want to write these essays that I kind of mentioned about yeah, these bigger yeah. themes and topics. Yep. And I think that's a good idea. But um, anyways, I just want to get some general feedback from people. So I'm going to probably put a survey together, man. I'm going to send it to you as well. I think so too. And I think even um, maybe it's, too meta and not interesting to everybody else but Mm -hmm. just writing a chapter or an essay about getting a kid's book or not a kid's book but just getting your book published is in Mm -hmm. in itself an an interesting essay um well so if 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 it happens and i can write about it if it doesn't happen then (laughs) (laughs) it'll happen uh how are you man how's it going uh yeah able cells going good so i had an interesting uh i think that the the thing i'm wrestling with is um, so orders just keep coming, which is great. Um, I had a, I mean, shame on me being the growth guy. I got too into the weeds and really took a step back, started looking at my analytics. Like I mm-hmm. pretended like I hired myself as a consultant and like, what would I tell myself? Mm-hmm. And I, I turns out I'm in a great position where 65% of my sales are coming from organic search. So, um, which is great. So I'm actually thinking of dialing back on the paid and start starting to, um, give away, uh, this product that I have. So I have these things called keto bars, which are, Mm -hmm. um, and they're very expensive because I can't get them at wholesale prices. So I basically lose money on every keto bar that I sell already. Mm -hmm. I lose about Mm -hmm. 20 cents. Um, and but I'm thinking now of instead of spending, you know, two thousand bucks a month on marketing, I'm going to give away a, like two keto bars, one peanut butter, one coconut to every new person that buys, and then the the goal is to try to just earn some some you know brownie points mm-hmm. and see if they like them because if if people are if I if I'm buying them in big enough volumes, then it's I don't lose money on it. So like that's something I'm kind of playing with where it's like. How do I move my marketing budget to more of a like a promotions budget? If you know, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. instead of spending on pure like cost per acquisition, can I? Um, another thing I did was um, I I ran my first sale, so I I just did like a an Easter weekend discount, mm-hmm. and I think what I've again I don't want to like I don't want to get ahead of myself because my numbers aren't that big, but. I've got enough people on my list now where if I just send out an email, I get a response off every email mm. th- that I send. So, mm. which is kind of cool. So that weekend I did, I had, 
you know, eight or nine orders. And then I did another email the next weekend and I had 12 orders. So I think my thesis is right that it's, and again, I have to really run numbers, I think, or else I could, I could lose my shirt here, but I don't think I need to be operating this thing with a profit. I almost want to run it as close to neutral as possible until I get Mm. a thousand customers. And at that point, if I, if my numbers hold a little bit, every time I send out an email or I add a new product or I do a, a promo, I could be getting 15 to 20 orders per, per email. Mm. And then um, I could turn it more into like a, a retention business and email business where, um, I, I don't know. So I'm kind of playing yeah. around with, with that idea. Um, yeah. And I, I'm worrying less and less now about about making a big profit in 2018. My my new goal is to get a thousand mm. uh, customers. So mm. um, I'm on track for that. Uh, probably around August, I'll hit a thousand. So, so if your goal is to hit a thousand customers, though, why why not leave your ads running and? Because I think if you're going to do the thing with the keto bars, isn't that just going to maybe help retention of those customers and have like have them come back? Sorry, but- sorry. I, I yeah, I, I am going to keep the ads. Sorry, I didn't I didn't explain it. I'm I'm running two kinds of ads right now. Mm-hmm. I'm running very expensive brand awareness ads and then mm-hmm. very targeted keyword ads. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to um, I'm going to keep the targeted keyword stuff going. Mm-hmm. The the brand awareness stuff I don't think is actually driving as much value as I it's driving um it's driving people to the site, but it's not driving conversions. So yeah. like retargeting isn't catching them. Like it's it's really not doing what I want. So if I can continue to focus on the SEO, so uh driving like it's it's pretty cool where I, I did the math and if I can jump up two or three positions on two or three keywords, mm-hmm. it'll, I think it'll make up the difference for, for my ad. So it's, it's really, uh, um, I'm, I'm just, I'm shifting away from trying to dump a ton of money to just drive traffic to really getting good customers. But I, I, I hear you. I, even as I'm talking now, mm-hmm. I feel like I have contradicted myself. So I'm no, no, but if you're not doing the brand stuff, you're still targeted. Targeted still gonna get you new customers, which is good. Exactly. It's gonna yeah, yeah. To like, the thousand. Exactly. And then, yeah, and then if you do the keto bars, it's also <laughs> it's it does two things, right? A, you're gonna see like a new product. They if they like it, they're gonna buy some, which is great. Um, but if you're even selling them at a loss, then I don't. You're gonna have to adjust the price, I guess. But, um, and the the second thing is like you're just gonna build more of more of a loyal, loyal following. Absolutely. And, and, um, kind of a pro tip for anybody who's, who's trying this stuff out. The, I, I've realized that a big, a big, uh, uh, selling feature to being very small and nimble mm-hmm. is you, you can control your shipping. So I ship everything next day. So if, if I get an order tonight, it, like as long as it's before I go to bed, I'm shipping out that order that day. So if I get an order tonight, I'll ship it out at midnight, you'll get a notification and you'll probably have it in the next two or three days unless, you know, you live in like the Yukon or, or in Victoria. And mm-hmm. time and time again, the feedback I'm getting is, holy crap, I did not expect it to ship this fast. I'm absolutely going to order 
from you again. Like this is amazing. Nice. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. I realized like what a what a simple kind of thing that is because it's no it's it's no skin off my back. But you think like if you're a lucky vitamin or if you're a you know whole food or whatever, like you've got thousands and thousands of orders. It could just take a day or so to process. Mm-hmm. Um, and there is definitely an advantage to just getting it out the next day. So mm-hmm. um, anyway, I've been kind of uh, I've been. I've been happy that something that simple seems to be giving me an advantage. So, um, mm-hmm. but yeah, everything's, uh, everything's going well and just, uh, trying to, you know, keep, keep all the balls that I've got sp- or keep all the plates spinning that I've got spinning. So yeah, it's fun. Oh, that's cool, man. That, that's really good. Um, actually, and I think we, we've got some Q and a here and then I've, I've got a question for you that I've been wrestling with my, so I'll save it for the end, but it's just, okay. uh, I want to get your opinion on a on more of a tactical kind of able cells question. So, okay. Um, so what do you think? Should we dive into this uh, the Q and A? Uh, yeah, sure. Do you want to do you want to start? Do you want to read the, from the emails? Yeah, sure. So uh, thank you, everybody, for sending in your questions. We got some good. Um, we did get some good ones. So we funny story about. Um, Funny story about this one. So we actually, <laughs> Nick and I, uh, so this is actually an old question. Um, and uh, Nick and I tried to talk about this question and then we got sidetracked and talked about martial arts for 45 minutes. So um, the Maybe goal we here. we still go there, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, the, the goal here will be to not uh, to not do that, but um, we'll, we'll see where, uh, we'll see where it goes here. And, and, and it's funny because like the more I've been thinking about that conversation we had, I, I, I feel like I've never been more right about something in my life. So, I mean, we, 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 I feel like we need to have a separate two hour podcast about this. No, no, we, we can have that. We have the no, discussion. No, 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 we can't. It'll be a five minute discussion. No, 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 we can't. No, 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 we can't. We can't. Cause I'm not going to, I, I, I don't know. I, for some reason I have a strong opinion about it. Okay. <laughs> read, read um, the question. I'm going to take it there. <laughs> no, don't take it there. So this is from Anson and he says, Hey guys, thank you so much for my copy of pragmatic thinking and learning. We gave that away on like episode four, um, overwhelmed with ideas to streamline my focus and had some questions around productivity. Uh, what strategies do you guys use to stay on top of the thousands of tasks, priorities, thoughts, notes, inspirations, and communications that you encounter every day? Uh, when is it time to stop optimizing and just get down to work? Um, do you think that one system is objectively better than another? Or is this just another pencil problem? Thanks, guys, for the show. Keep up the great discussions. And that's from Anson. So thank you so much, uh, Anson, for that question. And uh, I feel like I've we've rehearsed this one because I've already talked about it. So I'll give you, <laughs> I'll give you my quick two cents on this. Uh, so... I use OmniFocus, which is a, an, a Mac application that implements this, this system called uh, uh, GTD or getting things done, which is this uh, kind of productivity system coined by David Allen and wrote a book of the same name, Getting Things Done. And I read it 10 years ago. I really fell in love with it. And the whole idea is just you write everything down you review it regularly and anytime you need to figure out what to do next you first look at what you have available at that moment so best example i like to use is if you need to make a phone call but you don't have your phone then there's no use in looking at a to-do that says call mom because you don't have a phone with you 
So um, you can organize the system such that if you're in front of a computer, you only see, you know, tasks that are able to be done with a computer. If you're, you know, you're waiting for a doctor's appointment and you have time to bang out 15 emails, you can look at your emails context and just start firing off uh, emails. So yeah, that's that's my system. Uh, when I use it religiously, I find that I am way less stressed out because it um, it just forces you to write everything down and then, again, look at it on a regular basis. And you just never get into that situation where you're like, oh my God, I totally forgot about that thing. And then you get stressed because you didn't plan for it or you, you forgot. And I find that it re- really reduces my stress. Um, and... I will give this to Nick so we don't get into this conversation. Rereading this again, I've actually changed my tune on this. Even though I do believe that there is an objectionably better martial art, I do not believe I do not believe that there is an objectionably better system. I think okay. that you you really just need to try on a few and it's you'll know it when you've got it. So if you don't have a system, I think you should try some different ones and you'll know if it's right because it's the one that you'll actually keep up with. So that's my that's my answer. I, I think the whole searching for a system thing to me is a giant pencil problem. I think like I don't use any I guess. OK, so I guess my, my system really is I just keep a list at the start of the week. I think about what I have to do. I write kind of like the maybe the 10 most important things I have to hit this week and I just kind of ignore everything else. Um, but I keep my list really tight. I keep it short. Um, I, I find with the tools and I've used some of these tools before I find that I just get down these rabbit holes of writing everything down and then the tool itself becomes work. And I feel like once the tool itself becomes work, then you're focusing on the wrong thing. And then it suddenly just, one big pencil problem um so now regarding the martial art topic kent that you brought up just real quick my only argument is that i think mixed martial art mixed martial arts is not an actual martial art i think mixed martial art as the the name suggests is that it's a it's a basket of a whole bunch of systems and a whole bunch of like um styles so by that nature, by by that definition, I'm just saying, like, you know, it's not really a martial art in itself. But whatever. No, no, that's fair. I'll, I'll give you that. I'll give you that. Yeah. I think that, yeah, I'll, I'll, I will, I will give you that, hundred <laughs> um, percent. Um, yeah, but Anson, man, I, I, I don't know. I think I would just um, figure out what works for you, and just if it works, it works. It, I don't, I don't know. Like, I wouldn't overthink that. I think See, it's okay, like but whatever my, gets things done. Yeah. But my, my, my issue with the paper, and I, and I really, I tried your system. I think in episode mm. two or three, we, we talked about your paper system. And again, this is where I think you just need to try on different ones because I I just lose that piece of paper or I forget to bring that book with me or I mm-hmm. find that I'm, and, and again, I think it's because I'm so invested in, in the, the computer system or the... Mm because it's on my iPhone, it's on my iPad, it's on my computer, it's on, you know, everything for me, I always have a capturing device. Whereas 
when I tried the paper thing, I found that I had like a big notebook that I tried to use as my weekly planner thing. But then I have like my little notebook that I kind of carry with me for ideas. And then I'd start writing to do's down there. Now mm. all of a sudden I have two syst- like I have two pieces of paper. There's no synchronization. I don't trust any of it. Um, and so I think that the paper one just relies on being more physically organized. And if I showed you my desk right now, you'd maybe get a picture for how mm. physical organization is not my strong suit. I don't, mm-hmm. I don't keep a, like a, um, yeah, I mean my desk, people make fun of me at work because I'm, I'm a super minimalist. I have a picture of my family and a cup and that's it. Because mm. if I had anything else, it would get messy. So I just, I'm, I'm a minimalist because I know that if I wasn't, I'd be messy. So mm. that's why I think paper hasn't worked for me is because I just can't, I, I literally lose the piece of paper or I forget to bring it with me to a meeting or I'm going out and getting a coffee with you and I have an idea and then I'm like, fuck, I can't write it down anywhere because I don't have my little, my, my little book. Yeah. Um, so I'm so used to capturing everything in the moment and then discarding it that I find that I need to have the, um, and, and Anson, like when you talk about thousands of tasks and priorities, I mean, if you saw my OmniFocus, a lot of people, again, they think I'm nuts because I literally will write down almost everything. And, but to Nick's point, that can become an exercise in itself. And just then you, you, you could spend an hour organizing your OmniFocus and how, pro, how productive is that? That's probably the least productive thing you could be doing. So there's definitely a balance. Um, but I'll tell you what, whether it's a placebo or a, or a dopamine trick, when I have maybe 10 or 15 very small things to do and I can just run them down and check them off, there's something really satisfying and, and empowering that helps me then go tackle a bigger thing next. So do you, do you ever uh, write something on your list just to check it off? Mm, I try not to, but yeah, <laughs> I've totally done that. hundred percent, hundred percent, especially if it's like, um, yeah, for sure. I, I really try not to because that's such a stupid thing to do. But, um, and what, again, why, why I love OmniFocus is there's no gamification. There's no badges. There's no points. So many of these other GTD apps have like, a weekly summary where it's like, you crushed it, dude. You did 20% more than last week. I think all of that is a gigantic mother of a pencil problem because if you need a game to to keep you motivated around getting your shit together, you're you're in the wrong you're in the wrong game. So I, I, I also think you're gonna get some when when you have something like OmniFocus, sometimes you're gonna put something on that list that is such a big thing that it will you can never kind of tick it off i i don't know it's, it might not just be like an idea but it might be like oh okay i gotta build this system or you know i gotta write this program and i it, it's it's it might take like three four months to actually write that so you can actually check that off and you know there's I guess balance in that system because you got to figure out like, am I going to take this big thing, break into smaller things? Um, and then is OmniFocus now like my project management tool? Um, mm. You know, no, I, I don't know. But, do you have but, friends in that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But there's pretty clear, 
pretty clear best practices on that. So mm-hmm. your all your to-dos should be written as next actions. Mm-hmm. So you can't say something like build app. That's mm-hmm. that's not a next action. Mm-hmm. That will that will stop you in your tracks if you see yeah. a to-do list that says build app. But what yeah. you can say is uh, sketch out three wireframes for app idea X. Mm. Or um, talk to Nick about best practices for sketching out wireframes for app idea X. Mm. Or so you need to, your to-do is actually, it has to be an action that you can um, take an action on. So if it's something ambiguous like that, then you tend to freeze and you can get Mm -hmm. overwhelmed. So during your review, that's when you would um, break those up into... Um, I, you don't plan the whole thing. It's not like you break it up into 50 smaller projects. You literally just ask yourself, okay, what's the next action I can take on this? And if you can't think of a next action, it probably should be off your list. Um, or it should go on this special list called your someday maybe list, which is sort of like your, your oh, it'd be fun if I could do, you know, um, you know, like, so on my Sunday or uh, someday maybe list, it's like, write a book, write a short story, write a, I have all these books I want to read. And it's just something that I look at every week and remind myself, oh yeah, I do want to write a book, but I don't have any actions on that. There's no, mm. like, but if I decide to, then I can move it into a project and start actually, okay, talk to Nick about what it takes to write a book, uh, you know, create an outline of three chapters of a book, you know, and, write one page yeah. of a book, you know, that kind of thing. And I find like, you know, even just you talking about that, I, f- I feel like the the tool you use is really um, tied to, I guess, how, how you work and how you you're, how you think. Um, because like for me, like if I shouldn't have to remind myself, for example, and I know this is like hypothetical, but like I want to like write a book or write a movie script. It's going to be like I'm actually I'm either doing it or I'm not doing it. Right, which I think we've talked about. That's a big yeah, difference yeah, between yeah, yeah. between you and I. Like, I think yeah. I like to remind myself of sort of like my, I kind of have like my one year, five year, ten year kind of goals, and I like mm. to look at them a lot. I like to look at them mm. like frequently. Whereas, from what I've gathered, like you see that maybe as a distraction, and would rather just stay more focused on the task at hand, which is which is great. I think, and again, I think that's where. It's just to each their own, you know, in a yeah. way. So whatever works for you, Anson, man. But don't, don't, don't overthink it. Sweet. All right, uh, Nick, do you got one? Yeah. Okay. So this is from Tim, and a lot of it, actually, before I get to that one, um, Davin, he wanted to know: Is it true that you, in fact, have three hundred domains? Because I think you brought this up in a couple <laughs> episodes ago, how you own three hundred domains. That's true. Um, so I counted because I got a little worried. I was like, is this a Kentism where I totally exaggerated? So I have 172 domains and I did at one point have 300 domains for sure, probably more than that. And yeah, the, the long story short there is I used to buy and sell domains the same way you buy and sell shoes. Um, and... Yeah, never really made any money. Had a few uh, kind of like, I had one kind of big offer for someone to buy my brother-in-law's 
name. Like I buy a lot of names, my friends' names and uh, family members' names and all that stuff. So I'd say like 40% of my domain portfolio are variations of my family's names because uh, my wife mm-hmm. has a big family. So um, I own a lot of their proper names and, and variations. And then, um, yeah, I mean, I kind of have this really f- terrible habit where if I come up with an idea, the first thing I do is buy the name and then mm. develop the idea. <laughs> so um, like before I did any work on Able Cells, I bought the domain name Able Cells. And, uh, yeah, I yeah. used to do that too. Yeah, it's uh, bad. And I, dial, then, and then, I dialed that back. I dialed that back a bit. No. Oh, and the, the scary thing is like last year, or well, where I, where I really started shedding them um, was when I, I looked at my finances and then I, I'm not even gonna tell you how much money I was spending a year, but it was embarrassing. And it was like, why? <laughs> so uh, luckily through kind of auction houses and stuff, I kind of recouped a good little, you know, chunk of change there. And then um, the ones I have now, I get emails like every few days being like, oh, this is about to expire. This is about to expire. And then if I'm somehow irrationally attached to it, I'll renew it. And if not, I'll just let it go. So, um, um, yeah, so that's the cool. answer to that. So, you know what? Just don't, don't do it though. It's a bad business to get into. So, uh, don't, don't buy domain names, kids. Davin's uh, sitting on a Twitter handle right now. That is, um, I think a lot of people think he's like an Indonesian pop star or something. So he has a lot of like teens who follow him and who message him all the time. And <laughs> that's amazing. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, I'm going to go into another one. This is from Tim and, um, it was good. I had, I had uh, lunch with him today actually. And, uh, just seeing how catching up, seeing how everything's going. And, um, he's a big fan of the pod. Uh, he actually commutes two hours every, like every week from Waterloo to Toronto. He does some kind of contract work up here and, um, he listens to the pod and he thinks the length is perfect. So for everyone who complains about that, (laughs) fuck you you guys. Yeah. Commuters. (laughs) Um, but he's like, we, we, I think, uh, maybe a couple episodes ago, we were talking about, uh, forming teams. Uh, and he was, we, the topic of outsourcing came up and he's, it's more of a comment, but he's like, I think outsourcing in a startup see setting only makes sense if your startup is not a tech startup i.e your innovation is in the business process and the tech is run of the mill the danger of a tech startup outsourcing your work is you don't retain the knowledge within the corporation which is value in itself in later iterations um so i have some thoughts on this i don't do you want to go first no 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 you you go first um so i agree but Okay, so I, I agree if the tech is the core part of your business. And I think in if it's like a yeah, if it's a total tech startup, yeah, I guess that kind of does make sense. But if in the context of our conversation, I was suggesting outsourcing because if you get caught up in just the building of it and the selling of it and you're wearing all these hats, then your product's never gonna go anywhere at all. So the idea of outsourcing a good chunk of that kind of brain power so you can focus on other parts was my my big pitch to this whole thing. Um, I do think that, you know, in a, especially in a tech startup, your that tech you're going to build is obviously going to be a value and you can use it later on. But I think it's kind of like how you operate that outsourcing and how you set that up. Because I think like when I've done this in the past, 
I have kind of been hugely involved in like the architecture of it all. So I know how I know how it's going to be built and structured in a way where I have like a clear API for myself or for whoever to kind of plug in and out of it. Um, and I'm outsourcing actually the more um, nitty gritty part of the implementation parts of it. So after I've kind of like skeletoned the whole thing, they come in and they kind of uh, populate the the body. Um, so I kind of avoid that a little bit just so, um, you know, the, the, the code is still scalable and reusable. Um, but yeah, that's, that's my thoughts on that. God, yeah, I don't, I've never really seen a, and I'm not, uh, my bias here is that I typically work with, or my career has always been working on, um, smaller teams, startups, consulting for, you know, small, medium businesses and, I've only seen outsourcing go wrong in software. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. this is also, you know, to frame it maybe more in the kind of five years plus ago. So outsourcing's come a long way since then. And, and the, mm -hmm. the, the talent of the outsourcing teams and communication tools have increased as well. But I think that you're totally right in that most of it falls down at the spec layer. So if you're really good at designing a spec and and a, and a mockups and really the product work that you're kind of describing, mm -hmm. you you have your best chance of of success. Um, and I think really it just comes down to you 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 get what you pay for. So the most people think of outsourcing and they think of cheap labor in the Philippines, in India, in Indonesia, and see it as this like magical way to take their idea and bring it to life for a fraction of the cost and then, you know, work the business like uh, Tim was saying. But I think that the only outsourcers that I've had great success with have been very expensive teams, people who are mm -hmm. just, they're pure professionals. They take this very seriously. They are sometimes can get more expensive actually than if you brought the team in house. The difference is you don't have to pay them 12 months a year. You only need to pay them when you have a project. Mm -hmm. And um, so I I do think though, kind of going back to the root of the question, if you're building a tech company and you're outsourcing, you're probably doing it wrong. So mm -hmm. I think that it's, and again, I, I know that I'm I'm thinking already of examples where this is wrong. There's a lot of companies that you, you probably big companies that you know of that use a ton of outsourcing. Mm -hmm. And you never know it because they do it really well. Mm -hmm. But if you if you're building something and your first instinct is to outsource it, it just doesn't mm -hmm. strike me as something that's like if you've got a competitor who's not outsourcing, they're gonna beat you. So um Yeah, I, and I, I I just argue it depends on what you're building. And you know, like let's just say someone's building able cells right now. Something like that. Like it would be easy enough for me to build, but that's also something super easy to outsource. Sure, because it's it's a pretty simple. I mean, you can you can almost argue that by using a Shopify, you are outsourcing it already. So yeah, this is true. Yeah, you're you're um you're you're putting your hands in in a platform. Um, but I, I mean, here's a here's a good example. If you're so, let's say that for Able Cells, I wanted to um. Okay, this isn't totally the question, but I thought about this. Uh, social media, you know, Instagram and content, like a blog. Mm -hmm. 
mm-hmm. I've looked into outsourcing, you know, getting a content writer to write articles and mm-hmm. update social media. And I just look at the, and, and I've talked to cheap companies, expensive companies, and I just look at their portfolio. And you, when you really look at the work, you can just feel that it's not, it's just not there. Now, again, mm-hmm. this is a different, different example because it's, it's, it's not tech, right? Tech yeah. is, tech is pretty, it's black and white. Like it's, it's not, it's not subjective like writing is, but to me, it goes along those same lines where let's say I had a, a project for Able Cells, like I wanted to um, design a microsite around, you know, um, you input all of your blood markers and I recommend some kind of a keto protocol for you. Mm-hmm. And it's some kind of an interactive website. That's something that I consider outsourcing because I could I could spec out a design, I could pseudocode the backend logic and... But at the same time, if my competitors were doing it in-house and had faster iteration cycles and uh, tighter design and tighter communication, it would probably be a better experience than than me outsourcing it. So I think it comes down to competition. If you're if you don't need to build it yourself, then outsourcing is probably going to work just fine. Mm-hmm. I I think the the avenues where that's possible though are getting lesser and lesser so uh, my bias is to always build but it's like if you're going to build that right now it's like the cycles you spent building it you, you're not able to run able cells yeah no no of course right? of course and, yeah so um, and that's where um and i mean even look at um i mean we've talked about some uh some uh, uh iphone games like you guys build everything yourself at sego and it shows mm-hmm. i think mm-hmm. the quote i keep hearing uh, at work from people, parents who have Sego is if Apple made kids games, it, they would look and feel like Sego mini games. That's, <laughs> that's high praise. Yeah. So, but you can tell when you go to the app store and you get a lot of other apps and mm-hmm. I've, I won't mention names here, but I've floated some by you and you've just very quickly said like, Oh yeah, that's essentially an outsourced shop. So they mm-hmm. come up with a concept, they throw some assets together, they throw it over to a team they build it, they QA it, and then they maybe spend a couple of weeks polishing it and put it up on the store. And yeah. and again, like if if that's what you want to do, then you know you can probably make some some money there. But it just it shows like you're not. Mm-hmm. It's just, I don't know. It's just not going to be the same. And um, yeah, it it yeah. just it just depends. And I guess it also depends on like you know like I I feel like oftentimes, especially from a developer mindset you always think that you're going to build it better than everybody else. And I don't know if that's always the case. Um, you're going to care <laughs> about it more. You're going to, you're going to definitely care about it more than someone outside will. And, but I don't know. I, I feel like you could still just, if you just manage it well, it, you still might get the kind of same kind of result that you'd get if you just kind of outsource that. So, yeah, you know what? And let me, let me uh, put it, put a, a cap on that because I think mm-hmm. that an attitude that I've really changed my mind on because of my confirmation bias as a developer, as a consultant who is trying to convince you to pay me to write your apps, right? Mm-hmm. I used to be in the camp of I can always build it better because mm-hmm. I care more, because I understand more, because I whatever, right? All ego stuff. And I think your answer is probably the the, the one we should settle on. The first one you said where you 
like the technology is becoming such a commodity now that let's um, without getting into the weeds here, let's say there's a way to implement some algorithm and I, the super crazy masters of computer science, write this beautiful algorithm that does it in 0.4 milliseconds. And then you send it to some outsourcing shop and they use Google and find an answer and theirs takes one millisecond. Mm -hmm. No one gives a shit. Like yeah. mine is probably 10, an order of magnitude better and harder, but you'll never notice as a user. Yeah. And the hardware and the the technology is getting to a point now where only in very high stakes systems does that kind of efficiency matter, you know? Yeah. And, you know, you're probably not going to outsource a nuclear reactor, um, you know, uh, safety protocol checker or something like that. That's probably something you're going to want to have a team looking at. Yeah, um, it's, it's also like if you look at like Twitter, right? Like Twitter rewrote Twitter from from the ground up. Right. At one point. Right. Right. And that's another thing. Like if you if it's going to take you 10 years to get to market because you want to write this all yourself, then your product might not even exist. Versus exactly. If you, if you get out there quick, you still have that flexibility of later rewriting if you need to rewrite and re-architect and you have a full team. But 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 I think, though, the the, the problem, though, with outsourcing is people, at least in my, in my experience, people look at it like a technology problem and it's really a communication yeah. problem yeah, so totally. because the advantages that you have as an in-house team is faster iteration cycles so it's, it's not that someone's going to build it better it's that you're going to see it in the wild and you're going to have a flood of insights that you can action in minutes instead of 24 hours or days, which is sometimes what happens with, with outsourcers. Mm -hmm. So to give you an example, we uh, at Hubba right now are, are building this learning center. It's like a, a you know, just a, a, a like a really high quality uh, Q&A or not Q&A, like a, a resource center to learn how to use Hubba, to learn about the business, to learn how to be a successful buyer and all that jazz. And I use this incredible uh, outsourcing team I recommended we use this team called uh, X team and they're a team out of Poland. And when I first started working with them, they were always trying to sell me their project management fee, mm. right? Which is mm -hmm. the most expensive part of the project. Yeah. And being young, I'd be like, guys, all I need is a few developers. I need a WordPress guy. I need a, a designer. I need a rails guy and I can project manage this shit. And I can, and I can, you know, I don't need to pay you to do this. Mm -hmm. And then what you realize over time is that, it's not like, it's not that you can't do it. It's just they know their team. They know their developers. So when mm -hmm. you hire someone whose only job it is, is to understand your spec, ask mm -hmm. you the questions that you'd be asking your team as a product manager, and then following up with them in real time, you it pays for itself like in, in the first month because mm -hmm. you just don't have to go back and do 50 design changes or 50 iterations. You can, you can nail it in like one or two. So... Yep. The, the 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 key of a good outsourcing outfit is almost the the project management layer and mm. um, so I'm I'm a big believer in in paying for that layer like if I were to outsource even something as simple as that keto blood app that I I told you about I'd probably use X team and it would probably cost me five thousand bucks instead of two hundred and fifty mm. bucks on on Odesk but mm. 
I would get exactly what I wanted for for five thousand dollars, not yeah. something that doesn't really work, and then I end up having to rebuild anyway for yeah. for seven hundred bucks. You know, so yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, great question though. I think that's a, and I really wonder what's going to happen. You know, um, I mean, we we should do a whole topic on like I think we kind of talked about it maybe once about like should we teach our kids to program? Like, is that even going to be a job? in the next mm-hmm. 20 years because I'm I'm reading this crazy book right now that's starting to get me to think that it's not going to be a job. Um, <sighs> but, um, man, if you can invest in skills, invest in, understand the technology, but just really understand how to, you know, be <laughs> be Nick. Like, be a, be a project person or a product person, someone who can listen to problems, design solutions, get feedback on them, iterate on them. The, the technology is becoming so commoditized. It's it's better to just focus on the problems. That's a, you, same with you, man. Be a Kent. Kent does it all, man. <laughs> this guy's on the grind all the time. You're you're the you're you're the you're the MacGyver. You're not the MacGyver. You're like the Swiss Army knife guy. Yeah, but it, uh, I mean, going looking back though, I would make different decisions on on where I double down on skills and stuff, but <laughs> Um, um, but yeah, great question. Cool. He, he has, a, he has another point, but I don't know, maybe you want to, you want to jump on something? Oh, sure. We actually have an, we have kind of like a, an anonymous question. Okay. Um, I, I think I might know who, <laughs> who wrote this question. Um, but it says, Hey guys, really love the podcast. Just curious. You've talked a little bit about sponsorship and made some jokes about Casper. Just curious. What are your plans with the podcast? Do you plan on finding sponsors? Do you plan on monetizing? Is this going to be a business or are you guys just doing this for fun? Keep up the great work. Thanks very much. Okay. We, we kind of covered this in um, a few episodes ago, kind of at the end. So maybe people weren't weren't listening. But um, I mean, yeah, we joke, about, we joke about getting that Casper money. I think if you've been following us since the beginning, you'll know that we, we, we're doing this because we, we love these conversations. We find value in them. And we're pretty flattered and humbled that other people are finding value in them. So we're going to do this regardless. And um, but of course, it'd be nice to, you know, uh, you know, to, to get paid for one day. But that's kind of not the goal, at least right now. We've talked about doing Patreon. We might explore that. Um, we literally have talked about it only on this podcast. Nick and I and Nick, I'd love to hear what you think, too. But we I don't know. I, I I do think that's probably a good idea, but at the same time, mm-hmm. it feels really weird. I don't. Th- I feel like I got huge imposter syndrome about throwing a Patreon page up and asking people to give us money. I, that just that feels weird. But um, it's definitely mm-hmm. this. It's not the first time we've been asked about it. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, uh, mysterious stranger, whoever you are out there, just you know, tell tell somebody about the podcast. Leave us a review. That's definitely the best thing you can do to, you know, to support us if that's what you, you want to do. So your, your money is no good to us. Just uh, leave us a review, tell somebody and, uh, you know, and keep the questions coming. I think it's, we want to make sure that uh, people are getting value from this as well, if, as long as we are. I don't know. What do you think, Nick? Yeah. Yeah, no, totally. Uh, spread, spread the word. I, I think uh, we, we've talked about this a bunch and uh ultimately you know i think me and you get value from this and that's kind of what's motivating it right now um 
you know, we've gone back and forth about the guest thing, which, by the way, can I gotta, I, I need to hit up Samir. I, he, I, it, it's gonna happen. So, all right. I don't want to be the guy who's all talk. So I, because I've, I've talked to him about it already, pitched him. And for those of you not in the, the know, I was initially gonna, initially gonna talk to Samir about sponsorship. This is a guy who runs uh, Fahrenheit coffee shops in Toronto. Um, really good guy. But basically, I, I've talked to him about coming on the pod like months ago we i see him all the time we kind of talk about it a little bit but i don't want to be the all talk guy so i'm gonna we're gonna have to interview him um <laughs> <laughs> sounds good well i i know anson's game too anson's the first one on my list so we'll get we'll yeah. get smear and anson on and uh we'll those will be our our experiments i i so sidebar i almost think we should um just do like these short like 15 20 minute interviews and they can just be like mini like mini episodes yeah that's cool um so anyways but um yeah anonymous person if, if you're i'm glad that you're loving the pod and uh spread the word yeah when we get big enough we'll collect money from you but we're not there yet <laughs> <laughs> um okay i got one last question uh this is again from tim and this is like another it's a nice uh, conversation piece actually uh he's actually writing this to you kent because he was talking about your dilemma in a couple of episodes ago about being hands-on or versus hands-off. And he thinks you should empower the person when it's the right person for the role. Um, and he had a company with a few buddies that folded after five years. And he thinks that's why they failed. Um, and basically, I think they had the wrong person in a role and they didn't kind of move on that person. And... Um, his his point was, I think the key is to have metrics that measure a person's fit for a job so you can detect bad fit as early as possible. Um, that way you can have confidence in letting the team run independently but identify problems quickly. Um, do you have metrics that you, you have? Do you, you use maybe just even internally? You, we do, and I think the... So just an update on that. On that uh, I, I remember now what I was thinking about. I think I remember even the situation I was thinking about and so it's actually I, I've kind of solved it in in the three weeks, and it's it's been it's been great actually. So the the way I solved it, kind of funny. I maybe you told me about this question then, and or I, I forgot. But it feels like I'm I'm taking that advice where um, I really just needed to crack the whip a bit more. So um, I'm always I I tend to index on being very. Uh, lax and forgiving because I always assume that people are as self-motivated as I am. And mm. there are some people that just really thrive when you give them deadlines and give them mm. really and, and hold them to it. And, you know, so I know it sounds so simple, but everything I've been doing has been changed by, <laughs> seems like so embarrassing to even just say it, but just assigning deadlines and holding people accountable to them. And mm -hmm. it's something that I sometimes could, like I would tell myself is kind of micromanagey because it's like, yeah, but like you should just get it done as fast as you can, which is how, how I kind of operate. And, mm -hmm. but I, I realized that that's not the, that's just not how most people I've worked mm -hmm. with operate. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And to be fair, too, I'm giving myself too much credit because I've got good mentors and bosses who 
keep me accountable in their own way. Like Christina keeps me accountable in her own way. She's not like giving me deadlines, but she's definitely, you know, being like, oh, wow, like, I think you can, I think you can do better than that. Or I think you can, like, what if you did this next month? And I'm like, yeah, what if I did that? And mm-hmm. you, you, you never know people's situation. I think I'm just very lucky that I have a lot of people holding me accountable. I have you on mm-hmm. this podcast. I have all these artificial systems designed to keep me accountable. And mm-hmm. by providing that for everybody else, it's it's literally been like a light switch has turned on. And I am more confident than ever that it's it's not about the people. It was my problem and just not pushing them to, to do their best work. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and again, I still think there's a there's a balance between, you know, being kind of a, a jerk and being um, like, there's a way to do it where you're not being a jerk, but you definitely, someone like me who indexes more on the other side, I need mm-hmm. to remind myself that I'm, you know, um, I'm hard on myself, so I need to be hard on, on other people as well. Mm. Yeah, I, I think, um... I'm not necessarily a jerk, but if it's not working out, I'm going to let you know. And I have no qualms telling you like what is not working out. Yep. Um, I do try to give people the space to kind of operate and I'm very, very hands off generally. Um, and sometimes that's a problem because I think like I also have to do better at recognizing when I need to be hands on and when I need to be hands off, I need to be better at that. Um, because I like, I, I'm like you Ken, and I kind of expect people to kind of be like that, like be kind of just self starters and to just solve the problems and understand everything like right off the bat. And that's not always very realistic. Um, but at the same time, yeah, I, 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 I'm pretty blunt with my, my feedback. Um, and I don't know, I think that's good in some ways. Cause I think, people I don't want to waste cycles by beating around the bush so I think I like I like direct feedback so I give direct feedback but it's also in nipping this stuff early is good not just in terms of um, you know just workflow with this person but it's also good for the rest of the team because if right. you don't think this person's a good performer the whole team thinks this person's not a good performer right probably. Yeah, no, and then it brings down that morale, right? It brings down the morale, and it's also the team loses trust in you because they're like, this person's terrible, and you're letting this happen. Yeah. And you start losing trust with your team, I think. So I, I think, yeah, totally, Tim, you're you're, you're right. Like, you got to have some sort of metrics to measure a person's fit, and you got to kind of move on that person quick. Um, yeah. Yeah, no, agreed. I think that's a good... Um... You know, we used to have this thing, uh, kind of cliche, but like hire fast and fire fast. And mm-hmm. I think there's that's really hard to do in practice because you never want to fire someone because then it's really your fault, right? If you fire someone, it's more the company's fault than, mm-hmm. I mean, there's exceptions, but it's typically yeah. the company's fault because yeah. you didn't you didn't set them up to succeed. You didn't ask them the right yeah. questions in the interview. You yeah. didn't give them enough resources and... Um, but at the same time, if you're, if you're, you need to do that or else you end up carrying around this dead weight and 
it affects the other high performers on the team. They start looking mm-hmm. around and saying like, why, why am I working so hard? Like, yeah, you know, this that person's yeah. not working very hard and doesn't doesn't yeah. seem to be affecting them. Like maybe maybe I can just check in instead of you know going above and beyond and and that's no good. So yeah, no, it's a yeah. great uh, it's a great great insight, Tim. And uh, your 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 point too, Ken. Like setting them up to succeed, it's totally. I think you gotta do everything in your power to set them up to succeed. And if that is not working out, then you gotta move on. But it's that first part of giving them and, a chance and setting them up. Well, and you know, it's funny, and I think I. I think I talked about this, but one of the things I used to hate about my old boss and I realized that I, th- I was doing it. And then I started looking at other people. I tried paying attention to my boss and even our, our CEO and other people. And I think it's a natural thing to do where you'll ask for something. You like, you'll say, okay, I want this thing done, but you won't really define what that means to be done. So mm-hmm. you might say to someone, I want a project plan by next week. And in your mm-hmm. mind, what that means is you want a slide deck that has between four and six, uh, four and six slides that outline what you need, the dependencies, the timeline, and um, whatever. Like like that. When you say I need a project plan, that's what mm-hmm. you're picturing in your mind. Yeah. So then you know you go off, and then f- four days later, someone comes up to you and they give you a presentation, and it's like a Gantt chart. Yeah. And you're like, no, 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 no. I, I said a project plan. Um, no, no, I, no, this is, this is wrong. No, 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 no. Okay. Um, and then, but, and then this happens a couple more times. And then the, the non-self-aware people are like, wow, so-and-so is a real idiot. They don't, their, their project plans suck. Mm-hmm. And then what I realized is that now I've been trying just saying, okay, here's what we need. And here's the form it should take. And, that's not micromanaging. That's actually very freeing. That's very mm-hmm. liberating because you're like, mm-hmm. I, I need a plan. And you know what? I, I, I need it in a, in a flow chart. I need to see this in a flow chart. And the reason is because then that'll help us look at how these different systems are going to interact. And then it'll be really easy for us to move them around. So I need a project plan and I, I need it in a flow chart. And, um, uh, you know, n- no more than, than two or three, uh, you know, like, and then all of a sudden you've, you've de-scoped this project. And when that time comes and you have the, the conversation about it, you're, you're not spending the first half of the meeting realizing that the, the, the presentation is, is the wrong, you know, mm-hmm. and then that helps you get to the real meat of the, of the problem you're trying to solve. I don't know if that happens to you, but yeah, I, like looking back, so much of my fights with my old boss were that like we just weren't speaking the same language. So mm-hmm. he would say, "I want um, uh, you know, an MVP," and in my mind, that's like a full working application. Mm-hmm. And in his mind, that's like a a mockup or something mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. And anyway, I think getting clear yeah. about what you want and that's not micromanaging. That's just being a good, um, that's being a good leader and being a good manager. Yeah. And then, um, yeah, I don't know. Have you, have you ever, um, so you've done that. You've been kind of intentionally, have I, I sorry, have you ever intentionally because you want them to surprise you? Oh, hundred percent. And I think that was kind of what I was getting at the last time. Yeah. But what I realized is that if the person you're, so, okay, so now, now that we've, okay, so in this case, we've now gone through this exercise. The mm-hmm. next time you say, 
I want a project plan, it should be pretty clear what that means because you've already gone through that definition. But if this mm -hmm. is the first time you're going through this with somebody, you do need to spell it out a little bit because mm -hmm. um, if if you have a specific idea in your head of what you want or else it's you're, you're just going to spin your wheels. Um, mm -hmm. Whereas I think if you keep it very vague, that's that's fine. But then you, you have to be okay with the time it's going to take for you to cycle through feedback if it's not exactly what you were thinking about. Whereas if you're on a deadline, it you owe it to them to be a little as prescriptive as you need to be, but then knowing when to get out of the way and letting them take it over the finish line. Mm -hmm. Yeah, totally. Um, cool. I that's all the questions I had on my end. Uh, yeah, me too. I've got we've got we've got a couple more, but I think we'll let's let's save them for another uh, another day and just a reminder. Um, you know, you can email questions to hello at pencilproblems.com or you can hit us up at PencilPod on Twitter. And yeah, we, we had an anonymous question today that came through the, the Pencil Problems website. So there's like a contact form there. You can do that too. We didn't even know that that, that existed <laughs> until I got the... We get a lot of SEO consultants spamming us through that thing too. It's pretty funny. Um, and... Yeah, we'd love to hear from you. So thanks for those, thanks for those questions. Uh, I don't know what do you think. Should we should we just cut this? Uh, I guess we can yeah, just cut this one right here. 